0: Welcome to Hustle Like You Broke, episode number 57. Matthew Wall here. We have been killing it lately, if I do say so myself. Jerome Crooks last week was fantastic. Christina Raines from Headcount the week before. Always topical, very interesting, amazing woman, And speaking of amazing women, Angie Warner, the week before that, we have been having a blast. Today will be no different. And thank goodness, because it's funny. I don't know about anybody else here, but... Ever since What's-His-Name left office, I feel like there's so much less to talk about in the world. <laughs> for the Banks,
1: am I right? I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> everybody's looking for that topic of uh, conversation, that uh, com- comedic you know, segue to uh, bring us into the program.
0: <laughs> exactly. We, we, don't we don't have it. I mean, as an, as a non-political... You know, nonpartisan podcast. Oh, okay. we've always tried to <laughs> toe that line, you know, between, no, fuck that. We are not nonpartisan. <laughs> yeah. At least I mean, if, go, if you want to talk shit, about. we can talk some noise.
2: There's plenty to talk about if we're talking politics. Because although, you know, the ugly monster left the building, there's still some dirty trash that needs to go with him. Wow, listen. Major Green, isn't that her name? What's her name? Georgia. Ugh. Oh yeah. 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 Ugh, some yeah. smelly thing out of Georgia. She needs to go. Ouch! Ouch. ouch. Hey, listen to how this. can she how can anyone terrorize <laughs> high school students about a shooting that they witnessed? Let's just start with that. And <sighs> An then the list person. goes on. Does it not? Sadly. It, it oh. continues
1: to go on, yeah.
2: <laughs> the marshals are it. there. <laughs>
0: Gloves came out early today. There it is. Thank you, sister Dallas. (laughs) Well, for our listeners, I do have one piece of bad news. Unfortunately, Brother Hamilton will not be with us today. Uh, For those who know, he and I have been in a bit of a thing lately, but uh, I'm not going to say it's due to pending or potential litigation. That's (laughs) Not why he's here. It, it may or may not have anything to do with a connection to the insurrection or anything <sighs> like that. I'm only going to say that we we always appreciate Brother Hamilton's uh, opposing and sometimes po- polarizing viewpoints on the program. Uh, but I do understand he has been shooting straight on the golf course lately.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: And yeah, scene next (laughs) moving on.
1: (laughs) Terrible. I I mean, terrible, terrible. We started
0: today talking about the badass women been on this program lately, though, and today's guest. No different. (laughs) Super, super excited to have her on the program. I know her vaguely from years and years ago as a fellow New Englander. This woman is from Northern Vermont. It is a long way from Vermont to some of the places that she has gone with some unbelievable clients ranging from Motley Crew and Bon Jovi to kiss to the weekend and Halsey, Jay Z, Rihanna, Muse, on and on and on. To be honest, I, I got some holes in her story, so I'm just going to bring her out and let her tell us sooner, sooner. I'm going to (laughs) butcher your last name if I even try and say it. So why don't you tell us what that is and, and let's jump right in.
3: Yeah, most people butcher my first name, so that's good. You got that going. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, it's Ruthier or Ralphier or Rutier so you know, it's whatever. Oh. Yeah. Are you can uh, you can Quebecois <laughs> uh, background, yeah. My whole thing fam- I'm I'm I was born in the States, first generation American on my mom's side, so but my mom was born just south of Montreal, so Maria. Mm. Uh-huh. Now, oh, now Montreal.
0: as we understand it sooner and jumping right in, I believe actually you or your parents have one of those properties that for anybody looking that is looking to anybody listening that is looking to escape the US, you <laughs> might actually have a a non-drivable route wow. without a checkpoint. <laughs> I'm not suggesting people should do that
3: or that you've actually oh. explored the possibility. I'm only saying it's so I don't, it's weird. Like we definitely, we went up, I mean, okay, don't judge me. My mom is sick. So we like go to Vermont when we can to see her. Um, and it, Vermont is like one of the States that actually did it right. Right. They didn't, they were like the model state. Like they didn't have as many infections per capita, blah, blah. blah That's everything. Um, and so we went up for Christmas and there was a moment with like, we flew into Boston drove up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire area where my brother lives, stayed there for like four days, got a COVID test, whole thing. And then we used their car. We drove up to, it's all the way, it's like two and a half miles from the Canadian border. Like you go all the way up 93, take a, take a right, go all the way up 91. You're there Um, for all the New Englanders that know those highways. Um, And we were driving and we were so afraid we were gonna get pulled over when we crossed the Vermont border because I had heard, and I don't even know if these, these stories are true. They're probably completely like asinine, but I heard these stories of people getting pulled over and like getting turned back around. And I, it was probably yeah. completely false. I'm sure that these, you know, cause people are exaggerating these days, but we ended up getting like, maybe like 20 miles from my parents' house and a state trooper pulled out behind us and was like following us a little bit And then sped past us. And I was like, for a second, both my husband and I were just like, oh no, we're not going to see mom and dad for Christmas. But then it was fine. It's just, you know, I think there's just a lot of unusual paranoia going on these days that, and I am definitely a victim of it sometimes. And that was one of those moments of weakness where I was a victim of my paranoia, but I just really wanted to see my, my family, you know? So there you go. That was it. I think that's what you were asking about. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I can either confirm
0: or deny if that was what I was asking about, and yes.
3: Yeah, um, see I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so 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 let's start from the beginning because again i remember you from rainbow productions in the early days i do remember a verizon wireless all american rejects tour that i put together you were on your old partner robert long was on that Mm -hmm. you had been out with a band called chevelle before that you knew robert through that somehow and you two became partners did you start, first of all, did you start at Rainbow? Second of all, you know, when and how did you make that leap? And, and how does one go f- with from, from working with a little guy like me, you know, way back 15 years ago, doing an All-American <laughs> Rejects tour to Bon Jovi in stadiums and Coldplay in Jordan and <laughs> all kinds of crazy shit like that? Well, you hustle like you broke. Oh, there it there is. There, is. there it is. Okay, Dumb, okay Dumb. we're done
3: now. Great. Uh, <laughs> hey,
0: end um, recording, okay. everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate you being with us uh, sir. You're hired.
3: I, I mean, passion, right? I just, um, yeah, I first started working for Rainbow. Uh, and the thing is, like, I was sorting gels and pushing cases and fixing lights and, building socapex cables in the wintertime because there was not really much work. Um, and I, I did all that stuff, right? I, I hustled. I, I made sure I knew as much as I could about my craft, um, always wanting to program, always wanting to design, always wanting to, to go further. And I think I, like it's, I always was really good about networking and making sure that I would meet people along the way. And so anytime I did a show for Rainbow where there was like a visiting LD that came out and I was like the little trust monkey scurrying through the pre-rig to focus lights, like I would always make sure that I would keep that LD's contact and I would hit them up and just say hi and see how they're doing. I'm sure I annoyed the shit out of some of these people, Uh, but (laughs) I did it. And, And there were a couple in particular that were really, really helpful to me along the way. And at some point, I think it was up at, Meadowbrook Farms, which I don't even know what it's called anymore. Like the first gig I did in in Laconia, that amphitheater that's there, mm-hmm. um, or Guilford. Sorry, um, I, the first gig I did there was it was a truck, like a truck stage in a parking lot. Like now it's like this great amphitheater, but um, I remember like they came through. It was Chevelle and I think Disturbed and a couple other bands came through, and Chevelle didn't have an LD. And so I ran lights for them and the tour managers just like, just make sure you turn it out, turn all the lights out on stage in between each song, make it black. We don't want to see any lights on stage at all. And I did that. And, and they're like, nobody ever does that. Everybody always puts something else on stage, like a blue wash or something. And you actually did it right. And they said, we're looking for an LD in the, in the fall time. Are you interested? And I'm like, oh my God, I've never toured. But one of the LDs that I had kept in touch with throughout the years after like bringing him lights on some other show was there on site and actually like vouched for me. And between him is Jason DeBoer and Sonny Satterfield. And those two like vouched for me and said, yeah, bring her on the road. She's going to be great. And, uh, yeah, that was it. I just, and every festival I did with Chevelle, which is how I met my business partner, Robert, we're still business partners. We do, we do still work together. Um, And we have an old office home together here in town, which is awesome. But every time I was on a festival, I would always make sure that I would meet the LDs and like continue to network with them. And, and I would always help other people take down their lighting consoles. Like if they had a lighting console, I would help them pack it up. Um, I was always on stage helping the backline guys coil cables still, if I didn't have a rig out for that day. So I think it was just that, like, I just always tried to make sure that I was networking and, that's how I met Robert. Um, he brought me out as the, um, LG for audio slave briefly. Like the, the designer wasn't available to start the tour off. So he brought me out to start the tour off. And then from there, like I did the all American rejects with him, which is where I worked with you. And that was it. I just kept, kept growing that way. Like, you know, you never know when your next gig is going to come when you're touring. And As long as you're just constantly working towards making sure that you are a good person to work with and you hustle and you have passion for the job, you're going to get the next one. You just have to be patient and just... Yeah.
0: Well, I just heard two important lessons, and you just referenced (laughs) that what was actually the second one, which is the hustling. The first one is if the band says go stage black between songs, just fucking go stage (laughs) black between songs. Like, don't throw up a blue wash. Like, don't try to give them any cool, like, shadow lighting or anything. Like, just go fucking stage black between songs.
3: Yeah. I think oftentimes people don't realize, like, when you're in the position of, like, being a lighting person or like when you're in a position of like doing a craft for, for an artist on stage, like sometimes it's hard to take the, well, I know better. I know better than those people out of your mindset. You know what I mean? Like, but if that's what they want, that's what they want. And you do it. You know, I I have this problem sometimes when I'm designing shows where it's like, Oh, that is not at all going to work. But, if that's what they want, like I'll always try to sway them into like a different direction to say, well, these are the reasons why I want to X, Y, and Z, but you want it A, B, and C. I'll try A, B, and C, but can you just try X, Y, and Z? And then if they're just like, no, 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 I want A, B, C. You just do it. It's not about you, bro. You know, it's yep, about, yep. it's about the artist on stage paying, paying you to do a service and to make a great, beautiful show. Right? Yeah.
0: It's not about you, bro. I like that. Okay. <laughs> and s- spoken like a
3: true Parnelli Award
0: winner, too. I mean, oh God. There it I is. do not know
3: how people vote for me for those things, especially knowing the people that I was up against. I was just like, how? how is it possible? It's insane to me. Okay. Okay. Cut the humility. I I like you know. It's not mind That (laughs) it was a beautiful show, though. (laughs) Boom! There it is. It was a beautiful show. Thanks to Jesse Stout, though. Mm Mm-hmm. What's that? I'm Thanks sorry. Thanks to Jesse Lee Stout to use the creative director, right? We're partners in crime when it comes to that stuff. So okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good with the shout outs too. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you started in lighting, you've transitioned all around creative. Yeah. You're a designer, you're a producer, you're a director. I mean, tell us about briefly how one makes those connections and, and maneuvers uh, between spaces.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I always thought of lighting more as a scenic element and not so much as just like we're lighting the body and the people on stage were and we're also trying to create like great dynamic with lighting and music. I always thought of it as a scenic element, you know, like any I ever designed a show, I was always trying to figure out a way to use the lighting to like highlight pieces on stage or like, can I put lights inside something to Create like have just a different lighting look instead of just like a beam, right? I've always been that person. So even that very first Chevelle tour I designed, we had these like truss towers. It's just like a standard club lighting rig where we brought in moving lights. We put moving lights on top of a truss tower and we had these truss towers and I, they were just silver truss. So I it's like, oh man, I just, I'm so sick of this. Look at the silver truss. So I wrapped them in like a shark's tooth, like a, an ivory shark's tooth scrim And I lit them from the inside and the outside so I could get like this really cool, like high, it almost felt, they look like skeletons almost because of the, the wrapping and every single show I ever designed, I always tried to do that in a way that like makes the light, not just a moving light with a beam, it makes it into a scenic element. So I think just through that progression, um, you know, I just slowly, I would get an artist that didn't have a creative director or didn't have a production designer. And I would just end up taking on the whole thing. And I would sort of push, like, I think maybe instead of just doing these lights here, why don't we add this little scenic element, you know, take a little bit from the lighting budget to add to the scenic budget. And then we would just, it just kind of grew that way. Um, Okay. I got
0: two thoughts for you along those lines. First of all, I'm pretty sure Chris is not going to agree with me on this. And I know Kyle (coughs) wouldn't if, if he was here, but I say if you need a little more money in the lighting and the scenic budget, it should probably come out of the audio. I mean, I that's right? what always
1: happens. Audio gets sacrificed first.
0: <laughs> oh, no. oh, Lighting man. goes hand
1: in hand with creative. We control we, the budget.
0: We've uh, had that debate any number of times here sooner, and and I, I would be curious. I mean, is that a good strategy? Is this something you agree with? Uh,
3: so <sighs> <laughs> I know for a fact that, and this is like something that is. So I need to discuss further down the line, but I know that audio unfortunately can't like move their price Mm. structure, right? Because like audio is always going to cost what audio costs because there's always going to be a certain amount of speakers that it takes to put in a room to fill the room with sound. So like, this is, I don't know, this is a hard one. Mm. (laughs) I, um, I am about like every, every sense trying to be, triggered in a show. Because I think it's very important to have like full sensor. Like I've even with Robert and the Game of Thrones thing, we even tried to like pump some sense into like the Game of Thrones arena via the haze and the fog. Um it never it never sense took S E N
2: Sense. Yes. Sense. Yes. Yeah. Like that. sense how oh, we're always talking around no. here. you
3: getting way ahead sense. of my questions dollar too, because I was gonna
0: ask you about this later. Yeah. And I'm still gonna come back to it. Yeah. But Keep going. Keep going. I like where you're going.
3: So I, I mean, I obviously think audio is like super important. Like that's you go to a concert, you there's a whole there's a feeling that you feel with that low ends in your chest. Like you got to still feel that you got it. That's like, that's the root of a concert. I remember that was the first thing I noticed when on my first show my, that I ever went to by smashing pumpkins, melancholy and the infinite sadness. Yes. Amherst, Massachusetts, that arena there. That was my first concert ever. Mullins arena. Yeah. That one. Um, and that's actually the biggest thing I remember was that feeling. And you can't get that without audio. Mm. Can't. So, That's a good way of
0: skirting the question. I know, though. I just, I don't want to <laughs> piss off any of my
3: audio friends because I have so many audio friends, you know? And I really love Sean Clare and his team, and so I don't want to <laughs> piss those guys off. No, I, but, but, but the
0: truth of the matter is, audio guys often feel like they end up getting squeezed somehow yeah. in favor of the creative, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Not feel, fill. Fill. No, it's, it's not, not a, a feeling, it, it happens. It's not it a feeling, this is See fact.
3: You know we've actually taken, like, One of the Motley Crue tours that Robert and I did, we actually took. They had whatever pa system they had. We actually painted it with projection Mm. screen paint and Mm. made it into IMAX screens. Listen to you. You're (laughs) answering my questions before I ask them again. This is what I want to know. No, this is
0: this is exactly (laughs) what I wanted to ask you next. So tell us more. Like, how do you fit the audio? How do you
3: fit that PA into a scenic design? Yeah. It's harder these days with line array systems because people have done a really good job about trying to minimize them in the way they look, but it actually is more difficult because now, because they're so, they're in this like really funky, unique, like curved shape and the, it's really difficult to do that. I honestly, like, I think Jesse at some point, like wanted to put LED like tape or something around the PA for Muse and we couldn't figure it out, but Celine Dion ended up doing it and it looked incredible. Um, I don't know. I always try. I always put it in the drawing though, because I know that it's going to be the thing that you don't think about if you don't put it in the drawing. So it's always in there uh, whenever I do a production design um, from the beginning. And I try to engage with the audio team as early as I can to get what they think their hang is going to be so that I can just get it in there. Right. And The thing is like working with Robert Long really helped me with that because he's a production manager and he understands every single aspect and he's like, I don't know how his brain is. His brain just awes me because he just has this great way of just understanding every single little nuance of the departments and how they're going to function together. And, and so when we used to put designs together on paper, it was, we were always thinking about those things right off the bat. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's 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 a plus. I mean, we plus. I like, you know don't get that. I wish that
3: I wish that I could be better at it now though. Like I do really wish I could figure out how to make your line arrays look prettier.
0: <laughs> Got it. So audio is a necessary evil. That's my necessary. takeaway right there. There that's
2: it is. Oh, wow, man. Um, I don't know about wow. that. I know. I, I know. Yeah, I, I took that too far. together. No, kumbaya. I actually like the idea. Evil.
0: Well, blah blah blah. Kumbaya <laughs> bullshit. So, I uh <laughs> i'm in a mood today I, I actually like the idea of the led tape although yeah. you'd have to effectively use fresh tape every day because of the way the pa comes down unless yeah. you're taking it down you know in whole chunks well I this was this
3: was the problem is like how like do you build a frame that gets plugged in like how do you do, i don't know but the problem is the curves change every day it right so because you're yeah. you're right. changing where those pins connect Ooh. into in order to See, I know. I remember this tech stuff. Um, (laughs) So you can't like depending, it can't be, it can't be something that goes along the entire, because sometimes you don't even have the same amount of boxes, right? Exactly.
1: Or you add more boxes.
3: Yeah. Or you add more boxes. Exactly. I like this. You you, you researched this.
1: I appreciate this. Well,
3: it's literally just because, I mean, Rainbow was an uh, audio company that had lighting, right? So, and like from day one, I mean, I was always working alongside audio teams. In fact, I remember one winter they were trying to teach me how to mix monitors. It did not go well. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I used to do the the audio for the hockey games, the Manchester Monarchs hockey games. I would go in and, like, run audio for the Manchester Monarchs. That was fun because I got to watch hockey all the time. So, yeah, it's uh, –
1: <laughs> I'm,
3: not, I'm not afraid of audio. I just uh, don't know how to make your boxes look prettier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, there it is. Alone. Sean
0: Claire, she just called you out and said, <laughs> yeah. figure out how to make your boxes sound
3: or look <laughs> yeah. prettier. Yeah. There it is. We'll work together on that one. No problem. I like it. I like it. I,
0: I, 10%. That's all I am asking. 10%.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: So I'm actually going to jump way ahead because I had this way down my list of questions, but you actually referenced this already just in talking about your creative process and working within the elements and, you know, trying to highlight, you know, what you've got and work with what you've got instead of trying to pretend it's not there in order to Mm -hmm. just point to beam and what have you. Yeah. as I'm looking over your website, soonerray.com, we'll, we're, we'll, we'll tell everybody that again later and we'll spell <laughs> it out for them if they need it. But on your website, you've got some really cool pictures and one of them immediately jumped out at me because I remember walking through the Natural History Museum in London and standing on the balcony and taking pictures. And I have tons of them that I tried to frame perfectly of that giant (laughs) whale skull or whatever it is. (laughs) And you actually built like an entire design around, you know, that motif and this incredible structure uh, for Coldplay. And, And I believe you also did I said before, working with them in Jordan, like yeah. this incredible outdoor scenic, you know, uh, design for them. And, and there's a term in architecture, I'm trying to think of what it is, which is kind of like where you work within the surroundings in order to build the house that fits into the, into the surroundings, as opposed to make it stand out like it, doesn't belong. And and that seems like very much your design aesthetic in many ways.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, to be fair for Coldplay, I'm the lighting designer. There's a production designer who is absolutely incredible, Misty Buckley. It's so much fun to work with another female power. Like she is a powerhouse. She's a giant. She's insanely talented and just such a lovely human. Um, And I'm very, very, very blessed to work with her. Um, So it's funny because like they came, it, we didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for it. If I remember correctly, um, as we went to Jordan first, we ended up being there for like ten days, which was great. And I was working with the lighting director Graham Feast, and you know we got there, we didn't even have a lighting design in like in plan at all, planned out. We got there and did the whole lighting design. um, when we were there, like we walked the warehouse, uh, of the lighting, the lighting company. And we like looked at what they had. And, um, one of the things was like, I just, anything that was in the shots, like I didn't want it to feel like robots, like little moving light robots in the shots. So, um, one of the things we did was we found this scaffold and built these scaffold towers stage, right. And stage left. So we could have some audience light. Cause it was filmed. Um, and put these, I was like, just give me the raddiest park hands you have. Like the raddiest, I want them dingy, ratty. And they're like, well, we don't have ratty park. You know, they're like in Jordan. They're just like, Oh, well, we don't have that. We only they have try. nice brand new. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, no, just, okay. What can we do? Can we paint them? Can we like spray paint them or whatever? And they were so nice to us. They actually found this spray paint that they use on cars in the desert. So. There's basically whenever you take a nice shiny new car through the deserts over there, they get pummeled with sand and the, the finish comes off them. So this is a type of spray paint they spray over the car to protect its finish and it wipes right off. You wash it right off. So they found that spray paint for me. And there's actually a video on my Instagram of me doing this. Uh, I spray painted the park hands, <laughs> all these crazy like desert colors. To make it feel almost like they were out of a Mad Max movie, I wasn't going for a Mad Max, but that's what it ended up looking like. Um, and they just sort of fit in the the shots a little bit better instead of them just looking like shiny parkins and moving lights everywhere. So, but that was just like, just like speaking to how awesome it is working with Missy. Like she allowed me to do that to explore like how can I make this scenically look proper, even though she's the scenic designer, she's the production designer, um, and we just collaborated together to make that happen. Um, and then the natural history museum thing actually was really crazy because we ended up having that place is insane. So when you do a show there, you can't do anything until that museum closes down. So you're not allowed to bring in one case or anything until I think it closes at five or six that night. So once it closes, it is crazy. Like everybody gets in there, everything gets set up. We're focusing, I think the show started at nine. So we had like four hours to get full lighting, full camera package, the band. They had a ton of extra musicians because the Everyday Life uh, album has like these beautiful uh, collaborations with these awesome artists that, um, so they had all this stuff that we had to get up. And and I remember just sitting there at like 8.55 and I'm still fixing cues. Because we had we didn't have a show file, we were taking the one from Jordan and putting it into the desk and making that work. And at eight fifty five, I'm still fixing cues. And both Feisty and I look at each other. And we're like, "Well, guess we're going." And <laughs> We just did it. So, but it was really cool to light that whale. That whale was like, I just it was like right directly above my head. I remember like looking up and just like seeing this whale directly above our heads. Um, I was shading lights for video while Feisty was operating, and yeah. I barely remember that show because it was literally like what six hours of my life <laughs> in the Natural History Museum. Um, beautiful place, though. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: is. It is. Okay then. <laughs> I hope that answers
0: your question. <laughs> I, I'm not sure it did, but that's okay. Oh, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. No no, 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 it did. I'm kidding. And, yeah. and 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 let's so let's take it a step further, actually. But also reference something you said before in in terms of creating that sensory experience. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because when Sam and I were talking, Sam, our tech support, Mm -hmm. who by the way is like the biggest Game of Thrones nerd (laughs) in the world and totally geeked out it would, you know, at that production. And I mean, that was like, what, four fucking years ago? He's Something still like talking about it. Oh, you saw it? Uh, he saw it. Oh, he did. Oh, he bought tickets. He didn't even ask me if I could help him. The second it was oh. on sale, he bought tickets. He's like calling everybody I know. Like, I got
3: tickets to go in front.
0: So, I'm totally busting his balls for me. Wow.
2: Oh my God! No, no, no. How Sooner many snow got, days have you had up there in the Northeast? I, 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 I don't
0: know. Sooner's got me in a mood. This is, is this good. What I'm feeling when it. You don't I'm see the sun. It. What is going on? <laughs> I need to go get me a breakfast cocktail. Is what I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, God. so I first, well, not even my question, but I want to yeah. get into this too. You're going to have to tell us about the whole Game of Thrones experience because yeah. Sam wants to know. But what you said before was trying to use you know, fog and, and you didn't say pyro, but I believe Sam said there was some pyro. Oh yeah. Um, and, and it really was like a sensory overload yeah. that you got from that show. Mm-hmm. And so we had a, a musical designer, Kevin Antone, Antunes okay. on the show uh, not long ago. And, and Kevin, what I thought was really cool, he was talking about building, Um, the Cirque du Soleil experiences for Michael Jackson that he's done. And he was talking about creating a complete auditory experience so that, you know, it's not just coming at you straight away. It's coming from side to side. It's all around and you really feel like you're in the middle of the presentation. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems that you uh, aspire to the same and, and, achieve the same from a creative design. So Tell us about the sensory experience and how you approach the sensory experience when building your shows.
3: Okay. Well, I'll speak specifically about Game of Thrones because that one was definitely the, the easiest and most, you know, obvious choice to make it a full sensory experience. Because if you're a fan of the show, so first off, I read all the books. So... I am an uber nerd. I love sci-fi fantasy, like historical fiction. I am an uber nerd. It's bad. I am constantly reading. Uh, and I read all the books. And that was one of the reasons why, um, how how we got the show, because the the producers were just so impressed. Like, oh, my gosh, of all the people that we talked to, like, you actually read the books. You're a super fan. I'm like, yeah, I'm a super fan. Uh, so, um, you know, when you watch that show, it's the way that the showrunners built that show out. It's it is a full sensory experience. Even though you don't smell the smells of battle, you know what it smells like. Just the way that they, they built that show out. The, the, the it, for a yeah, non fan, I mean, what, what, is, what is it
2: entailing? I mean, obviously we talked pyro and lighting, yeah. but was it an orchestra or?
3: Yeah. So essentially, so Ramin Chawadi is the composer, uh, and he wanted to take his music on the road. So, Um, like that Star Trek thing or
2: whatever they did or Star Wars. Yeah.
3: So we would get, there would be a different orchestra and, or symphony in every single, (laughs) you're funny, uh, in every single city and he would come out and they would rehearse the orchestra. There'd be a choir as well, a group of, of, uh, choir. Um, and then we had, uh, I think six or seven specific musicians that actually toured it. So they were the same every, every time. So we had a a singer who would play different roles. Um, and he kind of, uh, he kind of redid some of the music to make it more like make it work better in the live scene, but essentially what we did was, and this is the hardest part, is we had to break down. And at that point, I think it was like five seasons or or something. We had to break down five seasons of of work into essentially a two hour show. And so when you're watching a show. You know, especially that when they're cutting between characters, they're cutting between scenes constantly. So, like, you go from the Lannisters up to the North, to the Wall, to the White Warts, and it's constantly, like, this, I don't know, it's just going back and forth all the time. You can't really do that in a live show because it just feels super schizophrenic. So we had to take, because we we ended up, like, basically writing the show. This wasn't just a production design. Like, our team wrote this live show with Ramin. Um, So we had to figure out how to take the characters break them down in a certain way break the scenes down in a certain way hit all of the the essential elements of those seasons and put lay them out in a way that was chronological but also still made sense without bumping around all the time um so we did this just that and we just laid it all out uh you know there was a scene at some point where the singer walked down this is my favorite one i think with this huge like Seven, the star, the seven pointed star above her, and we had a light that pointed through it, and it was just like cast this huge shadow on the runway. And she walked this runway, and it was the shame scene, and like there was a bell ringing, and and she would just walk, and she was singing this beautiful song, and people in the audience were screaming, shame, shame. So the sensory <laughs> yes. experience, yeah, it, it it was almost like Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of like cool. that sort of like audience interaction. So like people around you, it was 360 in the round. So like people around you were screaming shame and you're seeing the scene unfold, you know? And I don't know, it's dark and like it was lit. It, I, the whole show was only lit in like CTO, steel, blue, white, like to keep that feeling. There was no saturated colors whatsoever. Um, at one point, like I believe, cause there, we had like audience on the floor, VIP on the floor. If I remember correctly, we ended up <laughs> it's visceral <laughs> Sam <laughs> Sam's totally geeking out for our Sam's listeners out, out there right now. He's he's really <laughs> <laughs> he's sending
0: texts like 40 foot green flame Yeah, I green. Yeah, and he We have like that. That's Nikolai. It's visceral, he says. Nikolai with S.F.P. <laughs> Sooner soon yeah. you are making Sam's I'm life. I'm happy today, I can make your He's going to be yeah. listening to this episode it's again so and again. Funny. Sam, <laughs> oh. just as a reminder, your wife's name is Abby, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's Abby. So when she turns <laughs> to you and is like, Sam, what the
3: fuck are you doing? Her name is Abby. Okay, (laughs) that's so funny. There were green flames. Nikolai from FFP, FFP did the pyro for the whole thing. So like we had like dragons would go across the screen, and we had a point of time where like the dragon would come down to the bottom right corner of the screen, and there were you know flame heads right at that point. And when the dragon blew flame, it actually came out of the screen and like looked like it was an extension through it. Um, we, we did blow up the green flame ended up, Ramin was actually on an organ encased like inside this green flame, like circle of green flame was like hair raising every time, but he sat, it was great. Very calm about it. Um, he's amazing. Um, and then I think, and Robert would have to, would have to talk about this, but we had like dry ice fog pumped onto the floor for the VIP. So like when the, cold like the the north scenes where there's like snow falling we had like confetti snow and like the white walkers and the wildling scenes we would have that dry ice pumped along the floor so the vip peeps would actually feel their feet getting cold right because that dry ice is along their feet um yeah this it is it but that was i think this probably um it's a toss-up between that one and the imagine dragons evolved tour as to like the two my two favorite productions i've ever done in my life That's like, yeah, toss up. Okay,
0: you threw me for a curveball, and maybe it's just because I don't know Imagine Dragons very well. But why the Imagine Dragons tour then as a parallel or comparison to Game of Thrones?
3: Um, It's the same thing. So, like, I have a theatrical background, um, and I like to tell stories through the shows. So it's it's not just about – it doesn't have to be – you know, obviously Game of Thrones story was easy to tell because it was all laid out there. We just had to like put it together properly, but when it comes to music, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. I always like to take an artist's album cycle or whatever creative they're trying to put out into the public space and try to figure out a way to tell that story through a show. So sometimes it's as simple as a color story. So like uh, with Kelsey Ballerini, she had um, one of her albums. She like, it was about the journey of the heart. And so we, we took, you know, she was sad and she just broken up. It's not her personally, but like the, in the album story, it was like sad, broken up, down, depressed, and then just building it back up to true love and like marriage, whatever. Um, so we started the entire show was black and white. And then it, the third act it kind of added some color, a little bit of pastelly. And then we went to saturated color towards the end. So that's a really simple way of like saying how I would tell the story. The Imagine Dragons one they used Beeple to do all their artwork uh, for Evolve, and so Beeple. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but his this art that he had. He always had a single dude, this one dude in every album cover, and it, it was almost like there was like a rainbow of light shooting up, or there was like a light, like a UFO beam or whatever. Like there's always something going on with this dude. He's like walking through a canyon, always otherworldly. So, um, my. The, the content person that I, I work with all, all the time, he's one of my best friends. In fact, his wife is now my business partner in my new home staging company. Uh, he and I sat down and we just created this story of this dude. And we actually had like video audio transitions in between, like if there'd be like three songs and then we'd have this video audio transition, it was the story of the guy, like basically falling and then be, rising back up again. Um, and that one, the automation of the screens and the lighting was so, like, perfectly choreographed together. Um, and the storyline of the dude that it just, like, it just told this really cool story. And you could, you, as an, as a fan, you're sitting in the audience and you're watching the band go through these songs that you just love to listen to, but you're also watching the story. And I don't know. I, definitely like i i don't get super emotional and i cried the third song in cuz the first show actually ended up going almost perfectly and okay. i i was like crying at front of house while the ld was sitting there rocking out it's yeah I'm sure somebody has a picture of that. I hope they don't, but I'm sure they do something. <laughs> so, and if you um, do, send it in, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so between between the Imagine Dragons and the Game of Thrones, those are the two that I would say, like, the storyline was perfect. The, all the elements told the storyline perfectly. And, yeah, those, okay. that's it. When that comes together, it's like, that's me. That's what I want to do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that that's fantastic <laughs> so so I want to move on and actually want to get back to your home business before we go, but we're going to save that for the end because that's a little okay. bit further afield from yeah. everything else but before we move on to some of your more recent uh ventures I guess what I want to know is you've done such gigantic spectacles between not only Game of Thrones but Kiss which is very a band that's very much about more is more. Yeah. And and Motley Crue and yeah. you know stadium presentations with uh with Bon Jovi and and you've done some work in EDM which also is often about, you know, how can we distract attention from the fact that there's really nothing happening on the stage. Um so <laughs>
1: Sorry, is that not- your synopsis of what EDM <gasps> oh, wow, staging so looks low. like? Is that, is oh, that, what the look, hell? Wait a minute, oh, things, things are coming out. I'm feeling
2: very, I don't know, racist and as well. As
0: a general rule, no. But I will say that there are any number of EDM presentations, which is a guy with a thumb drive standing behind a DJ rig, waving his fist, and cool. I, you know, you want to oh. see your guy, and you want to hear your music and whatever. I, but... Oh, a lot of no, but a lot of what you see is visual effects mm-hmm. that are that the show is very much about the visual presentation that has nothing to do with the guy behind the DJ booth. And that's a simple fact. All right, So my question is looking ahead in the <laughs> industry and looking past COVID yeah. and looking to a time when everybody's saying these next few years, you know, it's not going to be about innovative new lighting products because we're going to have to Mm. figure out ways to monetize the existing equipment that people are using that, you know, are in the warehouse and what have you. I'm just curious, you know, what, what do you see being the next thing in terms of lighting and creative design?
3: Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, this is something that like, I wish I could predict the future because I'd start working on it now. Uh, I, I, I go, I waffle on this a lot. Like I just think it's going to depend on the artist and it's always kind of dependent on the artist anyway. You know, like a Taylor Swift is still going to be able to go out and sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of tickets and make good money with a huge stage and huge production. Somebody like that is going to be fine. And they're going to still do it because they were fine before. Like it's, you know, they could have done it without that huge guarantee. Right. It's, that's the way it goes. Um, smaller artists obviously are, are not going to be able to do that. And that's okay. Like I, I've been saying this since COVID, since the quarantine and COVID all started, I've been saying that like, I mean, designers are probably going to be some of the last people to come back because who I wouldn't, if I were in an artist's shoes, I wouldn't want to hire me. Like I'm a line item that they don't need. And I'm, I'm probably killing my job right now. I'm killing my career by saying this over a (laughs) podcast, but it's just, I understand that it'll come back at some point. Right. Like, but there's going to have to be a global sort of price change in the music side of things there has to be there's because how how else how could there not be right? Like our our artists are not aren't they taking less at this point? They're taking not people. yet, not yet. Yeah, no. that's no. where the that's where oh. the change needs well, to happen. See, I'm absolutely completely wrong. Well, I'm completely well, we don't wrong. know that. Let's let's yeah. just
0: say we don't know that. Yeah. We don't know the nuts and bolts of most of these deals. Mm-hmm. We do know we're we're taping right around the Super Bowl. By the time we air, the weekend will have done whatever is going on. We've heard rumors about who's coming out with them. We're not and even going to go with And Have the best him. time. I love you, Abel.
3: <laughs> so Sorry. the question,
0: so he and Coordination very wisely and Live Nation and all of their respective partners have announced a massive
3: tour for yeah. next year.
0: I, I don't anyway. see
3: him going small. No. But yeah. You're telling me. But he's one of those, but he's one of those, but they've always, that creative team, Lamar um, and Abel together, like they have always, 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 always pushed the boundaries. Like, throwing i mean caution to the wind every single time they have innovated since day one of of that career so i mean in 2012 when i did his i think i i don't know i'd have to ask lamar but i think it was like the third show ever they were they were asking for projection screens and all sorts of stuff and we did it we brought in stuff um so he's always innovated. I mean, I don't like they're always going to be they're always going to have stunning, beautiful productions, especially with Ez Devlin and Roy Bennett behind them. Come on. I mean, that's a dream team right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Ez. Um, So I don't know. I I have a feeling. I, I mean, I've already been asked several times to drop my price, you know, and, and I have a feeling I'm going to have to. I don't have a lot of work going on at all right now. It's very minimal. In fact, I'm actually playing more in the corporate pool these days than anything. Like I've got some really, really big corporate gigs going on in 2022. Um, And uh, I mean, we'll see what happens, but it's hard to predict. I just have a feeling that there's going to be a global haircut, (laughs) like (laughs) across the music industry, (laughs) you know, like how could there, how can we all expect to come back? spending the same amount of money we were. I mean, am I wrong?
2: Well, here's the thing. Let's be real about this. Our jobs, some of us, our jobs are going to be 10 times harder than they've ever been before.
3: A hundred percent. So
2: why should we make less money doing what we already know is going to be more challenging than it's ever been? There's also, depending on the labor forces that you need, there's going to be a significant forgetting of things, which will also be challenging. There's going to be fatigue. People will be not prepared. I mean, if people are working out, I mean, physically, mentally, there's going to be so many challenges. And um, I don't think for the people who are designing and still using all their skill sets, whether it's creatively, technically, uh, figuratively, (laughs) literally, but those of us who have skill sets and have curated those skill sets for many years, why should we take less money? I mean, I get it, but I don't think that's where you save money. You're going to have to share you know, already people are going to obviously rent gear for less. I mean, who cares? It's, it was sitting in a warehouse for two years. Now you want it yeah. on the road. That's a simple thing. But sure. when it comes to the brain part of the operation, um, I think, you know, or if you need to buy new equipment, are you supposed to take a hit on that? No. I mean, we that's could go the, on, but I do think that's yeah. very relevant. <laughs>
3: let's that's actually move other.
0: on, though, because let's not speculate. I mean, Sue, please, it's so hard. give us, go ahead, give us a final thought. Well, on that.
3: I was going to say, um, You know, all the every it's everybody's at the starting line. Right. When when the floodgates open, we are going to have so many artists, at the starting line. And actually, Michael Strickland said this to me on the phone yesterday. I spoke to him briefly. (laughs) Um, And to your point, Christine, like it's going to be really hard to get the people on board like everybody's going to be asked to do a million different things. Cause like, how, how are they going to have enough crew people around? Like how many, how many people first off aren't going to come back in our business? And this is probably going to go back to the true. next thing that you might talk about with me, Matt, but, um, like to your point, like if, if we're all out there and I mean, I don't tour anymore, but you know, are we going to need less backline techs? Cause we simply don't have enough backline techs anymore to, to do the job. Is the guitar tech also going to take care of keys and base now is the, you know what I mean? Like, how is that going to work? I mean, it's just at that simple level. Are are there not, an, are there going to be enough lighting texts Like if, if a, typically you would have five lighting texts on a show or can you only get three now because there are only three available and they can do that, right? So um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. That's also a really good point. And why should we take less because of that? I mean, I have to pay my people to help me draft a show. I have to pay people to help me render out uh, a production. I mean, they're probably still going to charge me the same amount of money because they, it's still hours behind a computer. They charge me by the hour. So, you know, it's true. Okay. So, so
0: let's move on from that book, but along similar lines, Mm -hmm. I was going to go to this anyway. You had a big role in the level up event just recently. And of course we're talking about how are people going to come back? How are people bridging the gap between, you know, now and whenever that time may be, Mm -hmm. you know, we all expected to be back to work. We were hoping by spring, summer, now it looks like late fall, maybe 22. Mm. We don't know. Um,
3: so tell
0: us about your experience in level up.
3: Oh, um, yeah. So it started, we were doing a bunch of other designer friends here in town in Nashville had started this thing called Live From Nowhere. And like two days into it, my husband got a call asking if he wanted to jump in and, and help with it. And he was like, well, I can't really do it because he's working full time still for Gallagher Staging. So he's still at it. I mean, he's working more than ever, actually. Um, and uh, and he's like, but you should call sooner, get sooner involved. And I was like, absolutely. Put me in, put me in, coach. Um, I think those are my exact words, actually. Uh, so basically, <laughs> we, were, um, we were we were doing this thing. We were trying to like we'd get artists to come on and do almost like a talk show thing, like an interview thing. And then we would have them play a quick little trivia game. And then we would pump out an episode live from nowhere And the hopes was, you know, their fans would go to this GoFundMe page and raise money. Um, We were able to buy groceries for several people that needed it. So that was good. We were able to raise a little bit of money for Music Cares. But um, in that, you know, there was a point in June where I was like, man, I feel like there's a lot of these little funds out there trying to help out crew in need. And I feel like if we all just kind of banded together, we would probably get a lot more done for people. So I started making phone calls and a couple people were really into joining with me. And, um, a couple people were not so into like joining forces, which was like, whatever, if you've got your thing going, cool, no problem. Um, and, and I talked to Eileen Valois, um, of PRG one day and she was, I can't remember what the name of the organization she was with, but she was only with them for a month into our conversation. So, um, We, we started talking about how could we, what could we do to band together to start raising more money? And she and, um, Shannon ended up saying, well, we wanted to put on a festival. Like they're putting on festivals for venues. Why are they not putting on festivals for crew? And I'll be completely honest. I wasn't really into doing a live, like a live stream festival. That wasn't really my jam, but, um, I also was like, okay, whatever we need to do to make, you know, to help out and to make this a thing and to, to raise money. So we sort of, it, it sort of took shape from there. Um, Shannon and, and Eileen really took the ball and rolled with it. And, um, myself and my, um, friend and partner in all this nonprofit stuff, Seth Robinson, and I sort of like sat back and tried to help out where we could. Um, and we ended up, you know, doing some of the production design and helping them with the, the video content and the lighting and everything. So, um, you know, they, I can't take credit for a lot of the stuff cause they did so much work and Stu Burke was like worked so hard and, and filet Lawrence, um, Mignola, who, um, donated a lot of money to it. Um, you know, it it worked really well. I think I can't remember the final number. I think we raised like thirty five thousand or something. We're we're still trying to get the rights to be able to release stuff to raise more money, but the big thing was like it created an awareness for our jobs that people didn't have, right? Which is a huge thing. Like nobody really understands that this is a career that you can have that like takes you around the world and like you get these amazing experiences. And so I think one of the big things is just making sure that civilians, as I like to call them, understand that this is like, you know, you do a stadium tour in Europe, you're looking at 250 people that are employed to do that tour at the, maybe sometimes more. Right. And, um, people just don't understand how many people like it's 12 million people in the live events industry that are suffering right now. So I think the awareness was huge. Um, yeah. And raising money and that's it. But yeah, there's another element which stems to the even stuff, which I, I don't know if you wanted to jump in on today, but... Um, That's where I was going okay. next. You
0: mentioned <laughs> Seth Robinson. I was going to ask. Yeah. Tell us about even.
3: So when we were talking, um, when Eileen and Shannon and, and Seth and I and Stu started talking originally about um, Level Up, uh, one of the things, it, it happened right on that Tuesday where our industry took a pause, the the blackout Tuesday that we, we were um, all all participated in. And, um, at that point, like live from nowhere is doing stuff, but not like it wasn't raising as much money as I was really hoping for, you know, I was really hoping to make a difference. And it did, it made a difference in some people's lives. But, um, I was like, we need to stop for a second. Just like pause because there's actually bigger factors here. So first off our industry is going to come back. And a lot of people aren't going to be in our industry anymore. A lot of people have found home life. They found other jobs, found other opportunities. They like more. They're, they're loving being with their families, whatever. And they're going to stay that way. They're not going to go back on the road. So our industry is going to not have as many people in it. When we get to that starting line and everybody rolls, we're not going to have as many crew. We've already touched upon that. So how great would it be if when the industry does kick back up, it's more diverse and it's more, um, it's kinder and gentler, you know, and just, We understand the amount of hours that we pour into our jobs and our careers. It would be amazing if it would just come back that way. So we paused on that Tuesday, and we thought about that, and we thought about how can we do that? How can we make a difference? So one of the things is I grew up in rural Vermont. No idea that this is a job opportunity until I saw that first concert. Um, My parents were like, what? You can't go do that. You're not going to make money. Like, go be a doctor or a lawyer. How old were you then? Oh, my God. Uh, 17, 18 years old. Okay. So prior (laughs) um, to college. Yeah. Just, just for college. And I, I still like at that point when I started pursuing a career, I didn't understand the jobs that you could have in the industry. So there's so many communities out there that just don't know about this opportunity. And so the first pillar of even the events, vocational education network, <laughs> even the even network.org. Um, the first pillar of that is awareness and produ- creating awareness for these jobs in the industry letting communities that would have no idea that this exists understand that you don't have to be the hip hop star on stage. You can be the tour director. You can be the front of house engineer. You can be the monitor. You can be the lighting person Um, and showing them these jobs and showing them that they can travel and see the world and make good money and have a beautiful career that brings in people in your life that you never would have thought you would have had in your life. And so that's the first pillar awareness. Once they decide that they want to apply for this education part, it's 30 hours of um, classwork taught by individuals like yourselves, professionals in the industry. Um, and at the end, they get their OSHA 10 card. So at the very base level, they can be stagehands at a show. Um, and then the third pillar is job placement, putting them into an internship. So we're looking for vendors to partner with us. We're looking for internship possibilities, internship commitments, understanding fully well that we're not going to be back for a little bit. So this is probably going to be 2022 But we're ramping the program up so that we can start accepting applicants probably by the end of the year um, and then run them through the program and then put them in internships that get them in this business. Cause that's the other thing. How do you get in this business? How it's really difficult, you know, and, that's the problem is a lot of people we're talking to, their internship, interns are applying for jobs, they're not getting diverse applications because people just don't know it exists. So they're trying to diversify their workforce, but they can't because they're not getting the applicants, right, like it's, and to be fair, every single vendor we've spoken to already has a program like this. So we're just adding another one to the table.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, yeah. To be fair, I feel like you stole your idea from listening to our podcast for last year. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm just saying. No, we we absolutely love what you're doing. We yeah. wholeheartedly agree with it. But to be fair, what I was going to say is, while these programs might exist, the question is, how do we get that information to the people? Exactly. Because most people are not even
3: aware of them. Yeah. So Noel Skaggs with Diversify the Stage is doing just that, and she is, I mean, she is a force. That woman is a force. I'm not sure if you guys have looked up Diversify the Stage, but if you have not, please, anybody out there listening, please look at Diversify the Stage and the amazing work that she's doing in this exact sector. And we're partnering with her. So anybody who comes in that is like a perfect example, I think there's a drummer that came through and she's like, well, just go. You could be a drum tech too. I don't know a female drum tech. Does anybody else know a female drum tech? I've never met a female drum tech. I don't know one female <laughs> drum tech. I don't.
0: You're right. I know a few, a few female drummers, no female drum techs.
3: Yeah. So if you're no. if you're a female drummer and you're not, you're maybe not touring as a, a professional musician yet, you could be a drum tech and still play with drums every day. <laughs> and like yeah. be an incredible drum tech because you understand the things in, around you that you're hitting to make all the cool noises. So like these are things that, and so she is just, she's actually promoting this awareness. Like, I get so excited and amped up about this, guys. Like I could talk about it for hours. Um, and she's just doing, she's doing groundbreaking work, trying to create this awareness about our industry. And so anybody who comes through that, you know, might be more into the backstage, behind the scenes, touring roadie, I love the term roadie. Don't care if anybody else doesn't like it. I like it. I'm going to say it. Roadie, if they want to be a roadie. Um, they would come to us. We would put them through our training program, put them in internships, and there you go.
0: <laughs> there, you there you go. There you go. Well, we love everything you're talking about. Before we get you out of here, we always have a series of quick hits that we ask. Oh, gosh. But before we go into that, one other thing I want to touch on today, and I think this is a critical for what's happening right now, especially as we're talking about people who may not come back from... You know, COVID come out of this, still be in the industry. It's it's a matter of transferable skills and yeah. how you apply the skills that you have from what you do, be it a lighting and creative designer, a monitor engineer, a backstage manager, a tour director, or whatever, you have transferred your skill set. As creative designer, we hear Sooner's dog in the background. Yeah, sorry guys, that Um, must be the FedEx. Quite all right, quite all right. You have started a home design business. Yeah. Do you need to go attend to the dog? No, I'm just going to shut the door. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about the home design business, how you got
3: into that, and what you guys are doing. So essentially, um, when, you know, I just kind of was getting annoyed that I wasn't creating and... And annoyed that i was sitting like i i mean i was working a lot on level up and even and everything and so I, my i definitely wasn't bored but i just needed to figure out like, i realized that this business probably wasn't going to come back till 2022 especially for me especially like the shows that i was doing they're not going to come back till 2022 so um i just was sort of trying to figure out what i could do and i've always loved interior design always 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 i've loved it i've always studied architecture. Like I follow a lot of architecture, uh, peeps on Instagram, interior designers, everything. So I actually tried to hit up interior designers in Nashville and just try to like work with them. I was like, can I just assist you? I just want to learn. Like, can I just assist you? And no one, (laughs) (laughs) would. I didn't get callbacks. I talked to some people and then like went silent. So I was like, all right, I'll just do it myself. And the real estate now, uh, air real estate in Nashville is just booming. It's insane. I, it's, crazy, busy. So um, I sort of like learned about home staging and how it sells a home. Um, and I just kind of dived into it. i I talked to um, several real estate agents in in the area and I was like is there a need for another home staging company? Like is the market is does it demand it? And I got like feedback from five real estate agents and they said, yeah, there's not enough companies in town to do that, do home staging. We call people and they're like, no, we don't have any inventory available for you or we're not available. And then they end up, you know, the house is vacant or whatever. So, um, I sort of researched it. I actually did take a class about it. And as I was learning, I realized that like, it's such a direct correlation, the logistics and the creative that go into staging a home for sale is so similar to staging an artist specifically for TV performance. Um, And the logistics to get everything in done quickly and then out quickly, it's insane. So we are using out-of-work roadies uh, to move our furniture and to load our trucks. Awesome. um, And unload our trucks, uh, which is great. So I get to give my friends work. Um, Basically, we have three and a half homes worth of inventory right now. We've got a business model that stretches five, ten years in the future. Uh, We're hoping we have five homes by the end of the year of furniture so that we can just keep filtering it out. Uh, we started the company in November, started working in December will be profitable March, April. So it really quick to become profitable. Um, essentially what you do is you just go in and you make a home look beautiful for pictures, which is what you're doing for an artist on camera. You're making the artist look dope on camera, right? It's all about that lens. So we do the same thing for a home. So the home is the artist, the buyer is the audience, And that's it. You go in. It takes about six hours for us to load an entire house of furniture in and like zhuzh. Zhuzh is a word I use a lot. Zhuzh. Zhuzh it up uh, to make it look great. Uh, Lots of fake succulents. And then uh, it takes us about two to three hours to load it out. And the roadies get a day sheet the night before. I actually have a day sheet template with the address, (laughs) parking information, all of it, uh, (laughs) times where we're going. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really fun. It's the one thing I would say I'm not super stoked on is I have to drive a U-Haul all around Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) Like my business partner and I sort of split the duties, but I don't know. It's kind of just it's like that's the one thing I wish I didn't have to do is drive a U-Haul because like I used to drive a box truck every once in a while for Rainbow, went, like loaded with Parkins and whatever. And I didn't did ever need to really do that again. But I'm, I'm finding that I'm doing that again. But you got to hustle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, there it is. Comes full you gotta circle. Hustle. <laughs> you got to hustle in order to full build a company. Circle. Startups well, are is. not. So you've been crazy. amazing. You've Yikes. been a
0: fantastic guest. I love that you ended it with the full circle story, <laughs> not just to the point about hustling, but the fact that you know you got to stay humble Yeah. and you got to be willing to get into that into that box truck or that U-Haul, move oh. it around town, get it done. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's who you are. We love you for it. You've been amazing. Our quick hits, real quick. Your oh, yeah. first tour, what was it?
3: First tour. Yes, ma'am. Irish Tenors.
0: The Irish Irish Tenors. tenors.
3: I was a lighting tech. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's great. Do you have a favorite moment we haven't
3: already heard today that you should highlight? Oh, my gosh. Rage Against the Machine, 2008 Republican National Convention. Uh, We, um, they decided, like, we had a show uh, in the arena in Minneapolis And they decided the night before the show, they were one of our opening acts from the tour was playing like a little truck stage in front of the state house um, as like a daytime little mini festival. And so the band decided that they wanted to go and play on that truck stage in front of the state house. They just like guerrilla style going to go in and play like three songs and then get out. And so they announced it right before they went over there. And, um, all the police, like the SWAT team were there like ready. Cause they're like, Oh, rage against the machines coming. This is going to be a mess. Like they had all their zip tie handcuffs and everything and the riot gear. And they came in and they like negotiated with the band not to go on stage because there was a very, very specific curfew time that if they went over that, there was going to be arrests made and all sorts of crazy stuff. So, um, and Robert would be able to tell this story a little bit better than me. Cause he would, rem- he was in that, those negotiations. But essentially the, the police negotiated with them so long that they got to the cutoff point point. they weren't able to jump on stage to play. So we grabbed bullhorns and the band like walked around to the front of the stage. I remember it same security team actually from the Jay-Z stuff that we were talking about earlier had like the whole crowd sit down. They made the whole crowd sit down and the, the band got bullhorns and they did a whole speech and acapella Tom Morello singing his guitar parts wah-wah-waka-wah-waka-waka-waka-waka in it, full horn and they did the whole song a cappella, and then and I think they did a second song and then Zach did a speech and he said let's walk and everybody got up and they marched down the street in protest it was insane I will never forget that moment I've got it on camera someplace like on on some camcorder tape someplace but yeah we love that. That's and you one.
0: did just say at the end, I want to be clear, that Rage was doing an anti-RNC <coughs>
3: performance.
0: It was not a pro-RNC yeah. performance.
3: And they also <laughs> did, they did an anti-DNC performance too in Colorado that year too. So it wasn't like they. you know, I'm not going to speak to Tom Raleigh's politics because that man It I graduated from Harvard with, Polyscience science degree, I believe. Um, So I'm not going to speak to their politics, but they definitely had a very clear, clear messaging. So we did, we did do a concert as well in in Denver for DNC. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they marched there too. They marched there. Mm -hmm.
0: Moving on as if you haven't already (laughs) answered this with us so far today, because I think you (laughs) haven't several times over, but if there's one thing you'd like to see us doing Better coming out of COVID and going back to work. What yeah. is it?
3: It's definitely being kinder and more gentle towards our lives. I am actually dealing with these really bizarre little health problems right now because my body's finally stopped for a little bit of time, and it's like, okay, cool. Now we're going to tell you about what you've been doing to your stomach and your gut for so long. Yeah. We're going f- <laughs> to, and so, and I just think like. We don't realize the amount of stress and what we put ourselves through in this industry. And it's because we're so passionate and it's our identity, right? That's the whole reason why we do it. So there's no fault in it. But I just hope that somehow we find a way to like be slightly more kind to ourselves and our bodies and just come back a little bit gentler than what we were doing before. <laughs> I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can hang anymore. I flew last week to Vegas for a meeting again. Don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> and I came back and I was like, I felt jet lag. I was only there for two nights, you yeah. know, like crazy. Anyway. It is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you. Yep. Yeah.
0: So we'll get you out of here on this. You've been, actually very impressive in terms of <laughs> shouting out partners and associates and people you've paid homage to throughout the program today i really appreciate that yeah. we 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 always
3: ask any additional shout outs that you'd like oh to oh my extend at this time. brian clark don't know if you remember that name lighting guy from rainbow um He's the guy that gave me my, I mean, he took me under his wing and I like interned with him over there for like three months for sure. Like he's the reason I'm here today. Um, And then my dance teacher, Sherry Skirdall from high school was the one that actually pushed me into lighting, probably because it was really terrible at dance. Now that I think about it, Um, (laughs) I've got got these shoulders that don't seem to want to go down and really have no rhythm when I'm moving my body Uh, anyway. So (laughs) that uh, those two for sure. I mean, there's so many like there's an endless list of people that I I would not be where I am if it weren't for them you know it's a team like that's the one thing that people sometimes um forget when you're in a position of like being in charge of a huge production it's it's your team and it's the people you surround yourself with that really have gotten you where you are because you have to lean on them to make things happen you know for sure and it's also our jobs are collaborative in nature anyway a design is not you you see a show differently from everybody else so like You gotta collaborate to make a dope show. Got to, have to.
0: Well, Sooner, thank you for uh, joining our team for the day. Dallas, any parting shots
2: from you? What do I have? Just that, um, you know, it's February, it's Black History Month, it's important. Mm. And uh, wear your mask, wash your hands, let's get through this incredible, amazing start to a year.
0: Okay, Brother Banks.
1: Uh, I would just say for people not to forget all those things that we've talked about that we're going to work on, you know, during this quarantine and being away from work, not to forget those principles that you said you're going to work on, your behavior, the way you treat people, the way you interact with folks. Let's not forget that when we get back to work because things aren't picking up and let's not, let's not forget.
0: (laughs) There it is. Well, I'm going to shout out Sooner one more time. I really appreciate the way you do make it about the team and you talk again and again, all those people. So kudos to you. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. We appreciate our listeners. We appreciate everyone that's been so supportive of us. We're coming up on a year of doing this. We have had a blast. We appreciate, uh, you know, I I appreciate uh, the opportunity to jump on the bus and just chop it up with friends an extended family every week so i'm having a blast we hope you are too we appreciate you all and on that note thank you oh before i go actually i just want to say again soonerray.com that's <laughs> s-o-o-n-e-r-r-a-e ecom and it was the evennetwork.org is mm-hmm. that right yep the evennetwork.org check it out people spread the word. It's not that these programs aren't out there. It's that people don't know. So let's help get the information in their hands. That's where I'll leave it. Thank you all and good night. Hey, this is tech support. Want to make sure you never miss the newest from Hustle Like You Broke? Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast, and sign up for our mailing list by going to hustlelikeyoubroke.com. You'll get updates about new episodes, bonus content, exclusive offers, and information on how to become a part of the music industry. Thanks for listening.